The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. Welcome back to another episode of First Bite, our midweek podcast where we bring in a very special guest to talk Detroit Lions football. My name is Jeremy Reisman. I'm the producer over at Pride of Detroit, Detroit Lions beat writer. Uh, You can find me at Detroit Online on Twitter. As always with me, uh, co-hosting First Bite is senior editor of Pride of Detroit at Ryan underscore P-O-D on Twitter. Ryan Matthews is here. Ryan, how are we doing today, buddy? You know, it's a great day. It's the end of the work week for me. Nice. Get good Friday off. So yes, that makes sir. it a great Friday. Um, And, you know, it makes it an even better kickoff to the weekend is our guest that we have. That's right. We are three weeks Exactly. From the NFL draft at this point. So we are making a hard turn. No more free agency talk. We're done with the profiles. It's time to talk the NFL draft. And uh, we wanted to kick things off with one of our favorite NFL draft guests, although he's much more than just that. Uh, Formerly of PFF, uh, specifically the PFF Detroit uh, Twitter account back in the way, way back in the heyday. Uh, But he's now the director of fantasy points and data research uh, at fantasypoints.com. He's also the host of the awesome host of the I'm sorry. He's also the host of the amazing on the clock podcast. And I'm not just saying that because I may have been a guest. Uh, Brett Whitefield is back with us. Brett, how you doing, man? I'm doing great, man. This is year five, I think. Right. Yeah, that sounds about right. Maybe Six? I don't know. Of but, just being on here? I mean, we've been running the podcast for eight now. For for pre-draft talk, though. Yeah. I think it's the sixth. Like, we'd usually pick a Thursday before the draft, and we we do this pod together. So, yeah. thank you for having me back. Of course. Uh, we we will until uh, we're either one of us are sick of it. Um, I'm guessing I'm going to get sick of it first. Not of you, just of, of draft coverage. Uh, but uh, the kind of theme of this episode, because we're, like, diving in ahead first, this is the first podcast that we're really focusing on the draft. Uh, I want to tackle the biggest questions, the the hottest topics of, of the Lions NFL draft. And and instead of hearing our opinions on it over and over again, which I'm sure people get sick of, no one wants to hear me talk about drafting a running back anymore. We're going to ask you the questions instead. Um, and what better way to kick off than the hottest topic that people are probably somewhat sick about. And we're just going to get it out at the top of the show. Let's talk quarterback. Uh, I want to know where you fall specifically when it comes to the idea of trading up and the lines, just going in and, and getting that quarterback of the future, not wasting time, not wasting resources, just go ahead and getting it done now. Yeah, I, I think they're in a perfect position to do it. Right. So I, I absolutely would. I, my preference is for them to trade up to three ish. Mm-hmm. 
Um, I it looks like my QB one will be there at three, and that's Anthony Richardson. So um, I would trade up the three for Richardson. I don't think I'm interested in Levis at three or six. Um, but you know, if they middle of the first round somewhere had a chance at Levis, why not? But uh, definitely not my first choice there. But Richardson's my guy, so yeah, that that's what I would do at quarterback. If if I were calling the shots, I would make it a point to go get Richardson. I don't think it would be expensive. I think you're talking maybe a second round pick. Maybe a second this year, a third next year, something of that nature. I don't think it'd be too bad, though. What What is it about Richardson that makes him your dude and worth this somewhat, you know, it's a gamble, right? Yeah, well, yeah, the draft is a gamble in general. It's all about calculating risk and just juxtaposing that to potential upside. So Richardson has the biggest ceiling by far. All four of these QBs that are touted to go in the first round, and we'll get to Hendon Hooker later, I'm sure, as well. But all four of these, you know, consensus top guys, they all have wrinkles and flaws to their game. None of them are perfect by any stretch of the imagination. Richardson's no different, but I think his ceiling provides a very unique opportunity for a guy that could be just an absolute juggernaut in the NFL. So you you, men, you mentioned his name, um, so we should talk about it. Is it fair to call you a trailblazer when it comes to Hendon Hooker? I feel like you were one of the first guys in on Hendon Hooker before he like rose up into the the top five. I think it was Jeremy of uh, what's his face's <laughs> mock draft, uh, Mike Tannenbaum's mock, mock yeah. draft on on ESPN.com. But um, Hendon Hooker, all right. I, I feel like it's a really interesting case study and just how you value certain aspects of a quarterback. Um, you you were you you know throughout the idea of the Lions going for him at eighteen. Um, can you talk a little bit more about that? What do you like about Hooker? Um, if if he if he's if he's if you're cool with him going at 18, are you cool with maybe the Lions going with him at six? So a couple points of emphasis here. I'm not only a trailblazer on Hendon Hooker, I'm a trailblazer on Anthony Richardson, too. I was the first guy that I know of that made him QB one. So Q, trailblazer there. Everyone caught up a couple weeks later. Hendon Hooker. Everyone caught up a, a few weeks later as well. Um, but yeah, so <laughs> that used to be my stance. Ryan was that if you like a guy in the middle rounds, might as well just take him at six because that's your guy, right? In the case of Hendon Hooker specifically, that is actually not my stance because of the age. The developmental runway for him is going to be short, which is a scary proposition considering the offense he's coming from in college. Mix in the, the ACL issues. I do think there's a cutoff point for me with him, even though I really do like him, and I think it is around that 18th pick. So... I am diverting from my normal stance on this topic because of, I think the circumstances allow me some grace there. So, well, let's talk about that runway a little bit, because I know, I know Ryan is, is not a, a big proponent of, of Hendon Hooker. I'm, I'm also highly skeptical if I'm being completely honest. So, you know, coming from, you know, a, a Chip Kelly offense where the progression isn't great in the NFL, it takes some time. And because he's that age, what gives you some confidence that he might be able to use that short runway and, and take off? It's the, it's the things he does well that you haven't seen a quarterback in that system do well. Typically speaking that chip Kelly, Josh Heupel style offense has been run in the big 12. It's been run in the pac 12 with very defense, very different defensive approaches. He did it in the sec and he did it at a very high level and he was pressured more than most of the quarterbacks in this class and routinely dealt with pressure incredibly well. Um, his ability to throw with guys in his face is, is something we haven't seen one of these style of quarterbacks do well. And he does it well. He throws with a tremendous accuracy and touch um, pressure does not phase him one bit. So 
Um, that that's one aspect that kind of sets him apart from, I think you're probably talking about guys like Bryce Petty or Marcus Mariota, things of that nature. Yeah. Like he's, he's very different from those guys in that regard. Can can we table quarterback talk, Jeremy? Are you yeah. good with that? Let's move on because I yeah. know some people probably fast forwarded to that part. <laughs> For sure. So here's here's your marker, Chris. Um, so you know, if uh if the Lions stay put at six, Brett, and three quarterbacks are gone, um, and you assume it's probably some mixture of obviously Stroud, uh Bryce Young, and maybe Anthony Richardson or or, or Will Levis, but I, I guess in, in that case you would want the Lions to grab Richardson at six, but if, if he's off your board, um, what, what's kind of the approach that you take? Because Jeremy and I talked about this on, on uh, the podcast earlier in the week and Jeremy, you know, pointed out, Hey, you know, there's like tiers of players and I'm sure you kind of have your tiered system of like, Hey, these guys are here and these guys are there. Six kind of feels like the first point in the draft where it's like, okay, maybe we're getting to a new tier of player unless somebody drops. Is there a player that you think might drop into the Lions lap there at six or what player are you cool with in terms of, you know, dipping into that next tier of talent at, at the six overall pick? If a player were to drop there, obviously Jalen Carter has whatever he's got going on. I don't know how much you want to, time you want to spend on him. He's my highest scored player in this year's class. I think it's important to talk about him, right? Because like he is the guy that fits the Lions biggest immediate need, right? Yeah, the question is like, is there any indication the Lions would be interested in him? Like, it just doesn't seem like it from a, a football culture standpoint, so to speak. But um, I don't know. I'm, I'm imagining they're doing their homework on him, like, and and doing it well, presumably. So, um, if they get to a play, point where they're comfortable with him, then that that'd be a fantastic pick. I mean, um, I, this this administration to me has bought enough credibility to where I wouldn't scrutinize it. You know, I, I'd imagine they did their homework and they don't think he'll be a, a locker room distraction and. I think maybe this regime is willing to look past some off the field stuff. If the on the field stuff checks out like the football culture, I think there's a distinction between football culture and just culture in general. And uh, so if he, if the football call, if they think he's a hard worker and a guy who's going to grind and be a team first guy, I don't, I don't see any reason why they wouldn't take him. Um, And yeah, uh, fantastic player. You're getting just a stud in every imaginable way possible with him. Um, I do think there's a, a small chance the other guy slips a little bit, and that's Will Anderson. Um, I, again, maybe I'm trailblazing again here, but when you watch his tape, I and I've talked to some league people, they, there's some people that are skeptical of his production profile because Alabama has that really weird scheme. He he won a lot of reps playing like a four-eye alignment at 250 pounds, which is very strange. Um you know, he, he came free in a lot of twists and stunts and, you know, wasn't necessarily pass rush wins that got him the high production all the time. There was plenty of reps where he was doing that as well, but it seems like Tyree Wilson's surging a little bit on people's boards. And I've even heard that Arizona might prefer him over Anderson. I've heard that Houston might prefer Wilson over Anderson as well. Um, if that's the case, I mean, shoot, what if Houston passes on a QB at two takes Wilson and then trades up from 12 to take a quarterback ahead of the Lions. I don't know. There's there's some different options there that are super strange that I think potentially Anderson would be the other guy to fall. And I, I don't think the Lions would hesitate to pull the trigger there. Well, let's let's talk if if the board falls in, in a very predictable way. And, and predictable is yeah. Uh, if, I mean, obviously if, we're predicting three things three weeks out. It it there's a good chance it doesn't fall this way, but let's say three quarterbacks are gone. 
Richardson is the third. Jalen Carter goes. Will Anderson goes. Ryan mentioned it. Like, it feels like maybe there's a perceived drop-off in talent after that. One, do you agree with that? And two, who is, like, the next guy on your list? So the next guy would be, from a score standpoint, they're, like, neck and neck. It's Tyree Wilson and Devin Witherspoon, the, the two guys always getting mocked to the Lions. Um, Bijan would be in there as well, as far as the score goes. And then my other guy would be Kalijah Cansey, but I think six is probably a little too early for him because of the – you're not going to get a three-down player right away out of him, so I don't think you can justify a top-ten pick with him, even though he scores that well for me. So, but uh, back up to Tyree a little bit. Um, this is a guy who's really intriguing, right? Big, huge, powerful, long edge defender. Was really misused in college, too. He had some really weird issues with his production up until this year. Then this year he kind of exploded. But, I mean, he was a, a four-year player, a senior this year. The first three years, though, like his pass rush win rate was not good, was not a high producer rushing the passer. But when you look at the facts of why that is, it was that Texas Tech front was so weird. They'd use him in like a wide nine alignment from a two point stance at 280 pounds. <laughs> and it's just not his game. Like he's not yeah. a speed rusher. He's like he's literally a, a length power rusher. He's going to win with his size and his strength. Um, inside counters, all, all those things are great. You're not hitting any of that from a wide nine technique. So I don't, I don't necessarily understand why Texas tech did the things the way they did, but it finally clicked for him this year though. And he kind of exploded. I mean, his, I think his PFS at his pass win rate this year was 24%, which is absurd. That was basically right where Hutch's was his last year of college football. So, um, he's a scheme fit for sure in, in Detroit. You know, I think, he gives them that big edge. They At the end of the season, they moved Hutch to that more, um, I would say, the open side of the defensive line, and they would need a, a close side edge, and he would fit the bill pretty well. So, Well, the other guy you mentioned, Brett, right there was, was you know, uh, Devin Witherspoon, somebody who is, as you also mentioned, being mocked to the Lions a lot at six because he's kind of earned this reputation based on his game film, right, that he's a quote-unquote perfect fit for this defense, right? Like he seems like a Dan Campbell guy true and through in terms of his physicality, uh, his ability and run defense and, and things like that and so forth. I, I want to ask you the question because an, another name that a lot of people throw out there is Oregon's Christian Gonzalez. Can you talk a little bit about the, the difference in between them? And is it a matter of like, Hey, do you like chocolate or do you like vanilla? Or do you, do you kind of view these guys as there, there is a one and there is a two. They're pretty they're pretty interchangeable to me as far as like a, a, a draft grade standpoint on like a general vertical board. But for the line specifically, I do like Devin Witherspoon a little bit more than Christian Gonzalez. Witherspoon, his, his body of work, his resume coming into the NFL is this crazy press man technique. He played more press man than any corner in this draft. He has those reps under his belt. We've seen the lions uh, so I'm going to bear with me. I'm going to contradict myself a little bit and then I'll tie it all together at the end. Okay. So we've seen the lions last year. They went through this stretch where they played so much press, man. It was ridiculous. They couldn't get home with the four man rush. So Glenn was dialing up all these zero blitzes, leaving corners on an Island. So from that standpoint, you're like, Oh wow. Well, this guy's already experienced with that. That's exactly what Illinois did. He'll fit right away. He's got the, also has the football character, the dog mentalities in it. Like this dude's highlight reel of just smacking dudes in the face is better than any player in this draft. And he's 180 pound corner. Yeah. Doesn't make any sense. Right. But, um, you know, from a, from a football guy standpoint, I think Dan Campbell and the, the regime would love him. 
when you actually break down his skill set, though, you, what you see is a guy who's probably not best suited to play plus press man in college or at the NFL level. He's probably his what where he wins is his instincts, his length and ball skills. You're going to want him reading the quarterback's eyes as much as humanly possible. And I think maybe he transitions to more. Uh, I don't think he I'm not saying he can't play man, but I think if you want to maximize his talent, you're going to want him playing a little bit more zone, a little bit more even off man rather than press man. Um, so my next point is if you look at the guys, the lines just signed with Cam Sutton, Chauncey Gardner, Johnson, uh, Emmanuel Mosley, that's what those guys do. Yeah. It, it speaks to a clear transition and, and a change of thinking in the way they're structuring that secondary and you need competent players to be able to pull that off. And I think that's why they emphasize it so heavily in free agency. And that's why I think they'll continue to emphasize it here in the draft with a guy like Witherspoon, so Witherspoon is a, is a perfect fit to me. I think they can still play a good amount of man with Witherspoon, but to maximize that whole group's talent, Kirby Joseph being another guy who's uh, not in is a safety. He's going to play a lot of zone anyways, but um, just not asking those guys to ever have to be put in man situations is going to, is going to help a lot. Now tying this together with how Christian Gonzalez fits is Christian Gonzalez was the polar opposite of Devin Witherspoon. He has the physical attributes in the, you know, all the physical traits you look for in a press man corner, he has every one of those traits and he, he does them phenomenally yet Oregon rarely did that. They didn't play press man. So his whole body of work, his resume, the thing that's going to get him drafted was his zone coverage. The funny thing about this guy's is I think he lacks instincts. His ball production was literally half of Devin Witherspoon's half of Joey Porter juniors. Deontay banks had more ball production than Christian Gonzalez. Yet he's being talked about as the best corner in the draft. When you have the length and the recovery speed and the burst and explosiveness that Gonzalez has, you have to start to question why that is. You had you had the favorable zone schemes, you have the length, you have the athleticism. Where's the ball production, man? And then you realize, well, this guy's lacking some instincts. You see it over and over on tape. He's slow to close on stuff happening in front of him. He really needs a trigger a lot faster. So ergo, I think Gonzalez. And Witherspoon are going to flip roles in the NFL. Witherspoon's going to go more zone heavy. Gonzalez is going to get drafted by a team that wants to play him in man. What do you know? College coaches not not utilizing their players to their best ability. Who would have thought that's possible? Um, while, while we're on cornerbacks, I, I, I kind of want to talk about this game that I think a lot of Lions fans are playing when they're do, creating their own mocks. They, they look at the cornerback position and say, hey, yeah, there's a couple of good guys here at six, but I can get a a guy who's either on the same tier or just a half tier below him at 18. So let me go defensive line. Let me go quarterback. Let me go whatever at six and get your guy, whether it's, you know, Brian Branch, Joey Porter, Deontay Banks at, at 18. What do you think of that strategy? And do you think, I don't know when it comes to the lines, cause you're, you're a lines expert as well. Um, do you think the lines are maybe more inclined to just get their guy that like, if they really like Witherspoon, they're not going to play the game there and get him at six. Or do you think they play a little bit more, the, the value of the draft and, and let maybe a, a cornerback fall them 18. I, you know, I've even heard some people say maybe Witherspoon is there at 18. Like there's, there's a chance he falls that low. I think there was some buzz about that, but then he tore up his pro day. True this week. Yeah. He's back to being a top 10 guy probably, but I don't know. I mean, if there is a guy at defensive back, it's probably Witherspoon or Brian Branch. I do think top 10 is too rich for Branch. I love Branch, but positional value, mm -hmm. it's not there for me. Um, same issue with Bijan at six. Like, yeah, he scores as a generational running back for me. I have him seventh on my big board, but I'm not taking him with the top 10 pick probably. Um, 
So yeah, Witherspoon's maybe the guy. I don't really know what this regime's gonna do. They've been very aggressive targeting players they like. Yeah. Who even says they pick at 18? They may what if they pick at 10? Yeah. Six and ten or something. I don't know. Um, I think the probably dark horse position we haven't really talked about yet is offensive line. I think that's definitely in play at six and definitely in play at 18. We're gonna get to all of that. Uh, okay. I think we're gonna take no, that's fine. Uh, we're gonna take a break here. We're gonna get into Bijan, we're gonna get into offensive line, we're gonna talk, yeah, tight end too. I know you guys are going to hate it, but we're going to do it. Talk some wide receiver as well. When we come back here on First Bite with Brett White, we'll be right back. And we are back here on First Bite with, of course, our special guest, Brett Whitefield from FantasyPoints.com. We started the first segment talking about quarterback, which everyone hates talking about. Now let's move to tight end, which everyone hates talking about. Uh, Lions have a relative need there. You know, they they have guys that they're probably pretty happy with, but there's obviously a lot of room to grow in that room. So, um, you know, it's it's a great class, right? Everyone keeps saying this is one of the best tight end classes they've seen in a while. So. For you, Brett, personally, when is that sweet spot? When is it too early to draft a, a tight end? And maybe when is like the best value and maybe a player that you're circling as a, as a guy that the line should target in terms of value, meet, need, meeting, meeting prospect? So is 18 too early? Dalton Kincaid is my 14th highest scored prospect in this class. There's some there's an argument to be made about positional value, right? But if the lines took Kincaid at 18, I wouldn't be mad about it. I, it's also not on my wish list. Like, in fact, I probably prefer they don't do that. Cause I think there's a lot of other value there, but he's the one guy at 18. You, you can make the case for Darnell Washington as a scheme fit, like a tremendous scheme fit, big inline blocker. Like he's going to improve that run game, you know, dramatically. So um, all the play action stuff they like to do another red zone option for, for Ben Johnson, he he can apparently he knows how to scheme tight ends up in the red zone better than <laughs> in NFL history. <laughs> so like then the lines led the the league in tight end touchdowns after they traded TJ Hawkinson. So go figure. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean those are the two guys that make sense for the Lions. I think 18 is too early for Washington personally. Um, but if you want to talk about, we did a little bit, but trading up somewhere in the second round. I hate trading up for running backs and tight ends, but. Um, Washington might be worth it. Like if you need to get to what pick to pick 40, I would do that. I would probably do that depending on what it costs, but I would probably do that for, for Washington. Um, the other guy though, that I, I have circled is Sam Laporta. Mm-hmm. And I know Lions fans are probably not wanting him because the Iowa TJ Hawkinson thing, but Laporta is a very, very good player and you're not spending a top 10 pick on him. So let's get over that. But uh <laughs> rack upside for days with the Porter, like tremendous after the catch a um, little bit of Travis Kelsey vibes there. So um, yeah. What, what we're saying in, in general, do you, do you think tight ends a big enough need for this team to potentially spend a first or second round pick on it? 
No, from a need standpoint, they could get better at the point of attack in the run game. So Washington makes sense. Like if they feel like they need a tight end, I think Washington is the guy to go with. James Mitchell was, he would have been a a second or third round pick had he not had the 20 CL last year. Yeah. There's a lot more talent in his body than I think the fans realize. Like he was a, Going into so the previous offseason before he got drafted, he was all the preseason boards. He was a second, third round pick. Um, I think as he rehabs and gets further away from that injury, you're going to see more and more out of him. He can be a, a move player, really, really effective receiver on the outside in the slot, H back type alignments. Like he can pretty much do all of that stuff that you want in a preeminent pass catching tight end. The question is, can they get enough at the point of attack out of Brock Wright? from a blocking standpoint to, to make it work. And not that Mitchell's a terrible blocker. He's not a terrible blocker, but he's not like a, a plus blocker right. in the run game. Yeah. So. It, it's, it's, it's interesting. We, we all talk about like 2023 being the unboxing of, of Jameson Williams, but in a lot of ways, it's the same with James Mitchell, right? Like it's almost like they're gaining a first and a, you know, whatever you want to call James Mitchell, obviously it was a fifth round, but maybe it's more of a, a second or third based on his, his actual talent. So yeah, it tight ends an interesting one. I, I, I want, I kind of want to see a little bit of improvement in the room, but it's certainly not a pressing need. I think it has to be the right guy. Yeah. And you know, another position on the offense that they upgraded the room, Jeremy running back. They added David Montgomery, who's a clear upgrade from Jamal Williams. They still have Deandre Swift, but there are still people that are talking about B. John Robinson. Brett mentioned that B. John Robinson was seventh on your board. Yeah. Something like that. Seven three. Yeah. Um, the Bijan debate has just like, I mean, it, it's out of control. I mean, it, I, I feel like a lot of people have moved off of Bijan at six. And I think some people are finding Bijan at 18 to be more than palatable at this point, especially from like, maybe like where they started in the pre-draft process to where they are now. Um, and, and the argument, Brett, right, is Bijan is a unicorn. And, you know, you, you draft the unicorn because you, you don't see these guys come along very often. How on board are you with Bijan in the first round for the Detroit Lions? Yeah, I mean, I think just on this podcast alone, I've identified five guys I would take before him at 18. There is a certain point, though, where he is so talented that it's hard to pass. Um, I, I've i been firmly anti-running backs in the first round. This is a generational guy, and I've talked with Brad Spielberger from PFF about this. Where you would be taking him at if it was 18 or, or later in the first round, like the dollars and cents of that make a lot of sense where you get into trouble is taking a running back in the first or in the like top five. For example, Saquon Barkley, the year he was drafted, he immediately became the fifth highest paid running back in the NFL before ever taking a snap. The The next year, Nick Bosa went second overall and he was the 37th highest highest paid edge defender. So the value is really not good in the top five. As you get down the board, though, you take him at 18, he's going to be making like two to $3 million a year. And you're going to be getting top five running back play from him. That's where it gets super valuable. So, um, and if you honestly, I hate signing running backs to second contracts. Like I, I love David Montgomery, the player. I do agree with Ryan that it's a, it's a, it is a big upgrade over Jamal, but they're paying him a, a, a lot of money. Like if they drafted Bijan, that's the funny thing is Bijan would be making less than David Montgomery and he'd be twice the player. So um, I mean, so yeah, at a certain point though, it is like, depending on how the board shakes out there, there is a, a point there where I'm like, yeah, Bijan's probably the guy that should take. I'm just hoping he goes before 18. So we don't have to think about it. Yeah. That, that, I was going to say, that's the other thing. Like you have 31 other teams in the first round that are having that same discussion, right? right. They're like, 
hey, like, come on, we can't let this guy keep falling. Like, he's he's just a unicorn. So, well, I mean, it's interesting because you bring up the the finances of it actually making sense to take a running back, and I'll be honest, that's that's one of the points that I fought against. Like, I I, I thought it wasn't good value because in general, first round picks, you know, running back is the least one of the least valuable p- positions in terms of what you're what everyone is paying for them. So obviously, like, I think any first round pick is is decent value compared to the position, but. But you made a good argument there. So I guess what if if running back is still not a first round target for you in general, what what are your concerns then for for not necessarily just Bijan, but like if finances aren't an issue, what is the issue with taking a running back in the first round to you? What is the positional value? So even if you're winning the the dollars and cents value by taking him later in the first round, it's still positional. Like running backs are still very O-line dependent. They're still very scheme dependent. So unless you have a guy who can truly affect the pass game, uh, there's just not a lot of value there. Like, and, and Bijan can. So don't get me wrong, Bijan can. Yeah. Gibbs, who, who was already uh, Brian brought up earlier, another guy can tremendously affect the pass game. So um, I think the bottom line for me with all of this is this draft is deep enough at running back that they definitely don't need to do that whatsoever. If they want to add to that room, they can still get a really good player at 81 or even if they somehow come up with the fourth round pick. So that, that that's what I wanted to follow up with Brett is like, Hey, somebody takes the gun out of the lion's hand. Bijan goes before 18. Who's one of those running backs that you might target, you know, 48, 55, or like you said, 81. Yeah. I mean, if Gibbs is there at 48 or 55, they have to do that. I mean, he's, he's a 87.1 score for me, which is just outside the first round 26 player on my board that now you're talking actual value. You're gonna be paying him cents on the dollar compared to what Bijan will be making. And, you know, he's a very good player in his own right. More of a pass down guy, though. He's kind of Jameer Gibbs is probably who everyone wanted DeAndre Swift to be when they drafted DeAndre Swift. That's that's exactly what I was gonna say. I mean, the Lions get a guy like DeAndre Swift in the second round. You you kind of view the same thing. You're getting a guy for pennies on the dollar in terms of value. You could be doing it here again with Gibbs. Yeah, exactly. Um, if it goes beyond that, like I really like Zach Charbonnet at 81, uh, Roshan Johnson, the other Texas running back. Roshan, what's funny about him is my comp for him is David Montgomery. <laughs> I think he's got a little bit more juice in the body than Montgomery, which I'm sure Lion fans will love to hear because that's Montgomery's biggest knock. Doesn't have that long speed. Roshan does. Have, I know he didn't test well, but when you, you look at the GPS stuff, he was a little faster than he tested. He has a lot of breakaway runs at the college level. So uh, I, I do think he's a Dan Campbell guy too. I don't know if you ever heard Roshan talk. This dude is a, he's a football player. You know, when they, when Dan always says that this guy's a football player, this, that's Roshan Johns, a former quarterback. He was actually recruited to Texas as a quarterback, Smart, played his entire freshman year as a quarterback. They'd bring him in for these wildcat quarterback runs. That's the only way he got used as a freshman. Then he transitioned to running back. So he has that quarterback leadership trait, though, hmm. that inherent leadership. He, he reminds me a lot of Jamal Williams in, in that way, a lot of David Montgomery in that way. Very physical running back, super tough, identity perfect for, for this offense. Also is a three-down player. Phenomenal pass protector. He can catch the, He's not a pass game weapon, but he, he can catch the ball. Um, Tajay Spears is the other guy. Yeah, he's fun. He's Jamar Gibbs light. If you really like Jameer Gibbs, but don't have a shot at him, you know, where you pick it in the draft, grab Tajay Spears. You'll get the same result, similar result. Well, since we talked about running back being offensive line dependent, let's talk a little bit about offensive line because it's a it's a long term meet, obviously, for the lines in terms of maybe both guard positions, maybe tackle if we want to talk 
deep future. And so I found it interesting that that a couple local guys, um, same week, Peter Skronsky to Lions at six. I want to know how on board you are for something like that as a guy who would probably start right away at guard, even though the Lions now have two starting capable people at right guard, and then maybe move to tackle a, a little bit down the line. What, what do you think of that strategy? I So first and foremost, I love Peter Skronsky, the player. He's my highest ranked offensive lineman in the class. That said, I think you're playing with fool's gold a little bit when we talk about starting him at guard and then kicking him out the tackle eventually. Yeah. I don't think you're doing that. I, he's already on the, the very low spectrum of potential tackle in the NFL, Mm. 32 inch arms. I've talked to now, let's see, two different offensive coordinators and a few O-line gurus that are all telling me this guy's a guard in the NFL. Like it doesn't mean he can't play tackle, but would you rather have a blue chip elite prospect at guard or a red chip talent at tackle for those that don't don't know the difference. Red chip equals above average starter blue chip equals all pro caliber player. So I think a lot of people would rather have the all pro guard than the slightly above average tackle. So Skronsky probably fits better at guard. I don't think there's the the tackle flexibility in a pinch. Sure. Guys get injured. Yeah. So, Stick out there, so then do you, do you believe Skronsky is that blue chip guy that is, I mean, guard typically maybe a, a, a second, third round pick. You can get a starting pro bowl, sometimes even capable guy. Is Skronsky unique and skilled enough to be, in that pro bowl, all pro level to be worth a sixth overall pick. I in the right scheme. And I'm not, unfortunately, I'm not sure that Detroit's the right scheme for him. Okay. His deficiencies and skill set are play strength and physicality. And in pass protection, his deficiency is he doesn't have the most consistent anchor. Doesn't drop anchor and and hold power rush. Those are things that are going to bother Dan Campbell and, offensive line coach and Ben Johnson for what the Lions are trying to do. Yeah. Cause remember they, they love to run the football, heavy play action in the past game. He's going to need to be able to set the anchor. It doesn't mean he can't develop though. So like, I'm not saying he's a disqualified player for the Lions. It's just for right now, there's better fits at tackle or at guard um, than, than I think Skronsky. So I probably, I don't think the juice is worth the squeeze at six for Skronsky for the Lions specifically. I, I, everything you just said, Brett, I think is really interesting because it's kind of mirrored. Uh, in Chicago, like don't look further than the NFC North. I mean, they drafted a guy like Tevin Jenkins. They move him to guard. He's awesome at guard. Now it's like, okay, we're going to get a tackle because like Tevin is playing guard really well. And and that seems like a a great spot for him. So um, maybe the Lions get, you know, kind of tough to get caught up in in, in that kind of talk. I want to talk a little bit more about, you know, Jeremy alluded to maybe guard the sweet spot for there is is a day two pick uh, second, third round. Can you wax poetic about Steve Avila? <laughs> yeah, I love Steve Avila, man. Steve Steve Avila, like, I mean, if you want to talk about Dan Campbell guys, Steve Avila is a Dan Campbell guy. Actually, there was a video that went viral today about um, Avila, and it was already in my notes, actually, on my write-up on him. Um, I think it was Duke Mannyweather. Do you guys follow Duke? Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Probably best O-line content on Twitter, but um, it was the national championship game his team was down 65 to seven or whatever it was like a minute left in the game. And Avila's out there just messing dudes up. Still <laughs> does not give a crap. Like he is playing. Uh, there's a famous quote out there. I love it. And the quote is um, don't stop when you're tired. Stop when you're done. 
And I think Avila embodies that. Like he, it doesn't matter. He's teams getting his, that. his butt absolutely kicked and he's out there pancaking dudes. Like who does that? Like the, <laughs> you can't tell me this guy's not a Dan Campbell dude. Like, yeah. like I, that's, that's a great pull. Cause I, I feel like Dan Campbell has probably seen that clip and bugged everyone in the room about it. Yeah. yeah. Do you, how, how on board, like 48 for sure. Like you're cool with it. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, that's the sweet spot for interior offensive line is that that middle second round to late second round for me. Um, one guy I'd consider at 18 to play interior, and that's Darnell Wright. I was going to bring him up. Because I actually, I actually do think he has the tackle flexibility. So in a perfect world, you draft Darnell Wright. He plays right guard for you. Taylor Decker moves on once his contract expires. Panay slides the left tackle. Darnell slides in at right tackle. You don't skip a beat at tackle. And Darnell Wright is other than Steve Avila is the nastiest dude in this draft. Um, his, his highlight reel of pancake blocks is disgusting. He punishes dudes. He's mean, he's violent. Um, his track record too, against the elite passers of the sec is flawless. His tape against Will Anderson, right? Yeah. His tape against Will. Now I, I don't want to poo poo that too much, but Tennessee was giving Alabama so much trouble in that game. I don't know if, if you guys watched that live, or if you don't remember that, but, so Tennessee runs this crazy tempo offense. Alabama acted like they've never seen an offense this good in their life. That <laughs> defense was all over the place. And Tennessee just kept pushing that pace, pushing that pace, pushing that pace to Will. Will Anderson didn't even know what was going on half the time. He was getting blocked before he even knew what the play call was. Um, so I don't want to discredit Darnell's work against Will Anderson, but there was some of that going on that I think helped Darnell out, but he did, completely shut down BJ Ojolari. He did completely shut down Nolan Smith in Georgia. Um, uh, another who, who's the other guy I'm thinking of. Oh crap. I forget, but there's another, another one in this draft that he just completely minimized. And so his, his track record is flawless as far as his best games were against his best opponents, which you want to see. So yeah. I love Darnell, right? If they go, if they went with him at 18, I'd be through the moon. All right. We talk about guards. Let's talk about on the other side of the ball there. Let's talk defensive tackle lines. Biggest need. Uh, we, we, we touched a little bit on Jalen Carter, so we, we can, we can jump that, but, um, let's say they, they don't go defensive tackle at six. Um, who are some other guys that, that you do like, um, that there's seems to be an ongoing debate about for versus Cancy. Do you, do you wait till later rounds and maybe get a nose so that you can keep a lean at the three? Um, wh- what's your kind of overall thoughts at the defensive tackle, both the, the class and the, and the fit with the Detroit? Yeah, there's a few ways they can dice it. Right. So, yeah. um, if you want to talk just pure deficiencies on the roster right now, it's interior pass rush. Yeah. The easiest way to fix that is Kalaja Kansi. Now there's going to be a bunch of people screaming. He's not a, you know, he's 280 pounds, short arms, six foot. Um, word on the street is, you know, from some, some people that he misses a lot of assignments. He doesn't. Um, but like Kansi, Kansi's a phenomenal player. Just straight up, phenomenal player. What he gives, what he'll give you on third down as a rookie, it's unbelievable. Um, yeah, I, I think Kansi's probably the best direction to go. He's my eighth ranked player on my board. Mm. Um, and some of it is, you know, you're invoking the ghost of Aaron Donald there. But I mean, honestly, it's, it's unavoidable at this point to to say it, right? It's, it's unavoidable, and it doesn't help that it was Pittsburgh that got Kansi right. right. Right, like. You know, obviously it's same, same staff too, that had Donald. So like they, they clearly know how to, 
to get the most out of those types of players. And they did it again with Cancy. So not saying he's going to be Aaron Donald, but I do think you'll get extremely high level pass rush from him. So that would fix their biggest need. If you want to go a more well-rounded approach, Mozzie Smith, um, fantastic player. He's, he's a top 30 guy for me. I don't think, yeah, yeah, I don't think um, 18 is necessarily too early for him either. Um, You don't find guys of his size that move the way he does. They don't grow on trees. Um, I think I'm, pretty confident mozzie smith will be a first round pick i just don't i don't see a pathway where a team passes on that athletic upside with you know his he's a lot like aleem too where he can be a nose tackle or he can play three technique yeah so they give him a lot of versatility there i guess i didn't realize he had that much wiggle to him oh buddy does he ever he was <laughs> he was uh bruce feldman's number one freak this year on the oh. bruce freaks list mm. and i know mozzie didn't test so people aren't seeing it but yeah he's got sub seven second three cones on like verified at Michigan, which at 330 pounds is freaking unbelievable. Yeah. Like unbelievable stuff. Um, Michigan also has this, they, they have a, a unique agility test. It's like their, I don't know, proprietary agility test they do. And Mozzie Smith has the, the highest score ever at 330 pounds. More yeah. better than Aiden Hutchinson's score. So, <laughs> It is crazy. So, I mean, the guy's an absolute freak. I think NFL teams probably know this better than the public knows this. I don't see a pathway where he doesn't get drafted in the first round. Hmm. Brise is probably the other guy everyone's talking about, right? Yeah. Brise at 18 is fine. When people were talking about him at six, that was like way too much for me. Brise, I ache in Brise to my golf game where it's like the, the high level reps in Brise's tape are f- phenomenal. And you're like, Oh my gosh, that it's enough to get you to come back to the next game. But then just like when you're on the golf course, you know, holes one through 17, you suck. But then you rip that whole 18 drive 300 yards right down the middle of the fairway. And you're like, I'm coming back next week <laughs> for a league. I'm an awesome golfer. But the reality is, is no, you stink. And you put up probably like a, a 100 to 110 score. Brise is a lot like that. We're like his high level reps are intoxicating, but they're very few and far between and just inconsistency all over his tape, but the physical traits are there and he could develop into a very good player. Another uh, two, two more defensive tackles. If I can throw out names, uh, Keanu Benton is somebody who Lions fans are, are pretty in on. Um, and then also Baylor's uh, is it Siaki Ika? Yeah. Yeah. So Benton, you know, 48, 55, I'm fine with that. He's he's a good player. Um, Going to be more of a run stuffer early in his career. I don't think a lot of his pass rush chops translate to directly to the NFL right now. Doesn't have a great get off. I, you know, I think he's going to have to work on that. He's thick. He's thick, too. He, I think he's like 310, 315 pounds, but he looks thicker than that to me. And he's yeah. sluggish like that, too. But he's strong as hell. So Right. Both And both of those guys that I threw out, uh, you know, Ika from Baylor and Benton from Wisconsin, both those guys are, they're keeping a lean at the three-tech, right? Yeah, especially um, Benton maybe has some three-tech upside with a with some development, but Ika for sure. Ika's a nose tackle only, probably. Yeah. It probably gives you more pass rush, though, because he's a pocket pusher. Um, he's so strong. He, he has a t- tendency of forklifting guys like right off the ground <laughs> backwards. So is he, he's not going to get a lot of sacks or anything like that, but he's going to create havoc in the backfield and not allow quarterbacks to step up into the pocket, which could be a win for Hutch and Houston and all yeah, those. I was going to say that allows your edge guys that, that the lines are boasting <clears throat> to clean up. I could throw out one more guy. Sure. Um, Carl Brooks, Bowling Green. Mm-hmm. He's listed as an edge defender because 
um, like some we've already established with some college programs, they don't really know what they're doing. <laughs> Carl Brooks was listed at 309 pounds at Bowling Green, and he played stand-up edge. <laughs> I, I don't know what we're doing here, guys, but <laughs> the dude's first step is outrageously good. One of the most athletic Mac players I've ever seen. Just complete freak of nature. So this is a guy, developmental curve, probably going to be a little significant because coming from the smaller school competition, obviously yeah. playing on a position like – I don't know if he has that banger mentality, that physicality to really get after it in the interior of the NFL right now, but all of the athletic traits are outstanding. And I think he's going to go higher than people think. Uh, what do you guys think about this? I actually am of the belief the Lions need two guys, not one. Long-term for sure. I mean, they, they like bugs a lot, but they're not committed to him long-term at all. I think the only guy that they really are committed long-term is, is Aleem. Uh, obviously they have some edge guys that they can rotate interior that can help them in, in the interim. But yeah, I think, I think, Doubling up on defensive tackle is certainly a possibility. Third guy in that depth chart is Benito Jones, right, Jeremy? <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. So um, do, do we have time to talk about wide receiver? I, I feel like we we'll kind of tease in. that one. We, we I, yeah. I feel like we need to follow through on it. Yeah. So, okay. So you, you take Jackson Smith and Jigba with the 18th pick in your, in your latest Lions mock. Uh, why don't you quickly make an argument for that and maybe just, your thoughts on what the lines might do at the wide receiver position, because it is a, a minor need at least. Yeah. One thing I want to clarify too, is when you read my mocks, unless it explicitly says this is predictive, it's not predictive. This is what I would do if I was sitting in the chair of every GM. So when I set out to do that mock, I didn't necessarily anticipate JSN being on the board at 18, but when he was, I felt like the value was too good to pass up because he's a terrific player at a position. I value on offense, it's my second, they get the high, second biggest bump for positional value wide receivers do. So um, huge wide receiver guy. I think they're crucial as we already pointed out with the quarterback discussion earlier, crucial to making quarterbacks work. Yep. I think we've seen what golf looks like with bad wide receiver play. Mm-hmm. Never want to get there again. So let's just keep adding to the mix. One of my mentors in football, Steve Palazzolo says there isn't a single team in the NFL that should look at their pass catching depth chart and think they don't need another player. Every single team needs another one. So uh, that said, J- uh, Jackson Smith and Jigba, I think people are falling into the trap uh, we had with Justin Jefferson a couple of years ago. Jefferson played on a team with Jamar Chase and Terrace Marshall Jr. The best spot for him to play was in the slot. It, ju- it was just the facts for that year. The, the previous season, he played on the outside and he played on the outside very well. JSN was in a very similar situation. Garrett Wilson and Chris Olave were both top 11 picks in the draft. JSN's freshman year, he also had Jamison Williams on that team. <laughs> where do you, where was the guy going to play? Like he had to play somewhere. He was the youngest of the bunch. They put him in the slot. He thrived. By no means does that make him a slot only player. He's six foot, 200 plus pounds, you know, freak athlete in every discernible measure. I know people think four, four, eight is slow for some reason. If you look at the lit, the litany of the top receivers in the NFL, all of them, except for, what Justin Jefferson and Tyreek Hill ran roughly four, four, six to four, four, eight to four, five, Oh, every one of them, Stefan Diggs, Mike Evans, Antonio Brown, like all Andre Hopkins. Yeah. Andre Hopkins. Like the list goes on and on. And that is the sweet spot for receivers. Uh, Long speed actually correlates negatively with wide receiver play in the NFL, which is great. (laughs) Our fantasy points own Scott Barrett has done a model researching this stuff. The, Typically speaking, the faster the 40, the guy runs, the the worse it translates to NFL success. The reason for that isn't the player's fault. It's because NFL teams overdraft speed. 
guy runs super fat. John Ross gets drafted yeah. sixth overall because he ran four two five. You know what's Darius Hayward Bay is the famous example from from lots of or from Oakland. Yes, I was going to say the Raiders alone are probably yes. swaying the results of that study. Yeah, but Tyquan Thornton last year, the Patriots, like he had no business being a second round pick, but he he ran super fast. So ergo, he's a second round pick. Mm -hmm. It happens. So point being, JSN has plenty of juice to play on the outside. There's no reason to suggest he can't. So I think he'd be a perfect match with with J-Mo and with with Amon Rasheem Brown. The other guys, so you you want to talk about what I actually think they'll do. Sure. (laughs) This is what I predicted. Um, I mean, I think they probably will go for a traditional X receiver. Yeah. Cedric Tillman's a guy. A.T. Perry from Wake Forest is a guy like Michael Wilson. Stanford is another guy I really like. I think he's probably the best route runner in the draft. Mm. Um, And he's big, physical, gives you yards after catch potential. Um, John Mingo, Ole Miss. A.J. Brown, light type player, can play on the outside. Good, very good route runner, but also just a demon after the catch. Um, I think they'll make go with a traditional X like those guys I just mentioned. All right, that is a lot of information in one podcast, and we're going to do more overtime, which is part of the uh, the appeal of, of joining us live here on twitch.tv slash Pride Detroit. But before we close things out, Brett, I have to give uh, yourself an opportunity to take the floor here and, and tell the people where they can find more of this awesome information that you provided us. Yeah, so on Twitter, at BG Whitefield is my Twitter handle. Please give me a follow there and follow along what I'm putting out every single day. Um, we just launched the, the 2023 prospect guide on fantasypoints.com. That is a free product. All you have to do is create a free login to fantasy points and you can get our prospect guide for free. There's also an app in the app store. Uh, go download that. It's fantasy points. Prospect guide is the name of the app. You can download that. You get the whole shebang right on your phone. You just need that login. Um, I'm the host of take talk podcast in the fantasy points podcast feed and on the clock. I'm also on Sirius XM Fantasy Station every Wednesday and Thursday morning at 8 a.m. Damn, that is a resume. Brett, always a pleasure to have you. Hopefully we get to see you either on draft day or, or sometime afterwards to, to break down everything the Lions do. But uh, laid out a pretty nice blueprint for us today. So appreciate your time, man. Thank you, guys. All right, that'll do it. Uh, thank you all for listening. Uh, we'll be back more with more podcast content all week as we barrel towards the NFL draft uh, in which the Lions are going to have an exciting couple days. So thank you all for listening. It's chaos. Be good.